0: Section sixty-four of India, Persia, Mesopotamia, and Palestine. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The World Story, Volume Two, India, Persia, Mesopotamia, and Palestine, edited by Eva March Tappan. Section sixty-four. How Xerxes Set Out to Conquer Greece, 480 BC, by Herodotus. Darius, king of Persia, tried in vain to conquer Greece. When his son Xerxes came to the throne in 486 BC, he too made the same attempt. An account of his disastrous failure is given in Volume 4, The Great Persian Invasion, The Editor. Xerxes thus levied his army, searching out every region of the continent, for from the reduction of Egypt he was employed four whole years in assembling his forces, and providing things necessary for the expedition. In the course of the fifth year he began his march with a vast multitude of men, for of the expeditions with which we are acquainted, this was by far the greatest so that that of Darius against the Scythians appears nothing in comparison with this. Nor the Scythian, when the Scythians pursuing the Sumerians, and invading the Medic territory, subdued almost the whole of the upper part of Asia, on account of which Darius afterwards attempted to inflict vengeance on them. Nor, according to what is related, that of the Atreidae against Ilium, nor that of the Mycians and Tucrians which took place before the Trojan War, who having passed over into Europe by the Bosphorus, subdued all the Thracians and went down to the Ionian Sea, and marched southward as far as the river Peneus. All these expeditions and others, if there have been any besides them, are not to be compared with this one. For what nation did not Xerxes lead out of Asia against Greece? what stream being drunk did not fail him except that of great rivers some supplied ships others were ordered to furnish men for the infantry from others cavalry were required from others transports for horses together with men to serve in the army others had to furnish long ships for the bridges and others provisions and vessels and first of all as those who had first attempted to double mount athos had met with disasters Preparations were being made for nearly three years about Athos, for triremes were stationed at Eleus and the Cersones, and proceeding from thence men of every nation from the army dug under the lash, and they went in succession, and the people who dwelt round Athos dug also. Buberes, son of Megabazus, and artachias son of Artaeus, both Persians, presided over the work. Athos is a vast and celebrated mountain stretching into the sea and inhabited by men. Where the mountain terminates toward the continent it is in the form of a peninsula, and is an isthmus of about twelve stades. This is a plain with hills of no great height from the sea of the Canthians to the sea which is opposite to On this isthmus in which Mount Athos terminates stands Sana, a Grecian city. But those within Sana, and situate on Athos itself, which the Persian then was proceeding to make insular instead of continental, are the following, Dion, Oliphixus, Akrithun, Thysus, and Cleoni. These are the cities which occupy Mount Athos. They made the excavation as follows. The barbarians divided the ground among the several nations, having drawn a straight line near the city of Sana and when the trench was deep, some standing at the bottom continued to dig, and others handed the soil that was dug out to men who stood above on ladders. They again in turn handed it to others until they reached those that were at the top. These last carried it off and threw it away. To all the rest except the Phoenicians, the brink of the excavation falling in gave double labor, for as they made the upper opening and the lower of equal dimensions, this must necessarily happen. But the Phoenicians show their skill in other works, and especially did so in this. For having received the portion that fell to their share, they dug it, making the upper opening of the trench twice as large as it was necessary for the trench itself to be. And as the work proceeded they contracted it gradually, so that when they came to the bottom the work was equal in width to the rest. Near adjoining is a meadow where they had a market and a bazaar and a great abundance of meal was brought to them from Asia. According to my deliberate opinion, Xerxes ordered this excavation to be made from motives of ostentation, wishing to display his power and to leave a memorial of himself. For though it was possible without any great labor to have drawn the ships over the Isthmus, he commanded them to dig a channel for the sea of such a width that two triremes might pass through abreast and the same persons to whom the excavation was committed, were ordered also to throw a bridge over the river Strymon. These things then he thus contrived. He also caused cables of papyrus and of white flax to be prepared for the bridges, having ordered the Phoenicians and Egyptians also to lay up provisions for the army, that neither the men nor the beasts of burden might suffer from famine on their march toward Greece and having informed himself of the situations of the places, he ordered them to lay up the provisions where it was most convenient, conveying them to various quarters in merchant ships and transports from all parts of Asia. Of these provisions the largest quantity they conveyed to a place called Lusacde in Thrace. Some were ordered to Tyrodiza of the Perinthians, others to Doriscus, others to Ion on the Strymon, and others to Macedonia. While these men were employed in their appointed task, the whole land forces having been assembled marched with Xerxes to Sardis, having set out from Cretala in Cappadocia, for it was ordered that all the troops throughout the continent that were to march with Xerxes himself should be assembled at that place. Now which of the generals bringing the best appointed troops received the gifts promised by the king, I am unable to mention for i am not at all aware that they came to any decision on this point they then when having crossed the river halys they entered phrygia marching through that country arriving at calene where rise the springs of the meander and of another river not less than the meander which is called the cataractes which springing up in the very forum of the sileans discharges itself into the meander in this city also the skin of Selenus marcius is suspended which, as the Phrygians report, was stripped off and suspended by Apollo. In this city Pythias, son of Ates a Lydian, being in waiting, entertained the whole army of the king and Xerxes himself with most sumptuous feasts, and he offered money, wishing to contribute toward the expense of the war. When Pythias offered money, Xerxes asked the Persians near him who this Pythias was, and what riches he possessed that he made such an offer. They answered, O king! This is the person who presented your father Darius with the golden plane-tree and the vine, and he is now the richest man we know of in the world next to yourself. Xerxes, surprised with these last words, next asked Pythias what might be the amount of his wealth. He said, O king, I will not conceal it from you, nor will I pretend to be ignorant of my own substance, but as I know it perfectly, I will tell you the exact truth. As soon as I heard you were coming down to the Grecian sea, wishing to present you with money for the war, I made inquiry and found by computation that I had two thousand talents of silver and of gold four millions of derrick staters, all but seven thousand. Footnote. The silver talent of the Greeks was equal to about one thousand dollars, the derrick stater to about five dollars and forty cents. End footnote. These I freely give you. FOR MYSELF I HAVE SUFFICIENT SUBSISTENCE FROM MY SLAVES AND LANDS. THUS HE SPOKE. BUT XERXES, DELIGHTED WITH HIS OFFER, REPLIED, MY LYDIAN FRIEND. SINCE I LEFT THE PERSIAN COUNTRY I HAVE MET WITH NO MAN TO THE PRESENT MOMENT WHO WAS WILLING TO ENTERTAIN MY ARMY, OR WHO, HAVING COME INTO MY PRESENCE, HAS VOLUNTARILY OFFERED TO CONTRIBUTE MONEY TOWARD THE WAR. BUT YOU HAVE ENTERTAINED MY ARMY MAGNIFICENTLY, AND HAVE OFFERED ME VAST SUMS. THEREFORE IN RETURN FOR THIS I CONFER ON YOU THE FOLLOWING REWARDS. I MAKE YOU, MY FRIEND, AND WILL MAKE UP THE SUM OF FOUR MILLIONS OF STATERS FROM MY OWN TREASURES BY ADDING THE SEVEN THOUSAND, SO THAT THE FOUR MILLIONS MAY NOT BE SHORT OF SEVEN THOUSAND, BUT THE FULL SUM MAY BE COMPLETED BY ME. DO YOU RETAIN WHAT YOU HAVE ACQUIRED, AND BE CAREFUL ALWAYS TO CONTINUE SUCH AS YOU ARE, FOR IF YOU DO THIS YOU SHALL NEVER REPENT, EITHER NOW OR HEREAFTER. Having said this and performed his promises, he continued his march, and passing by a city of the Phrygians called Anawa, and a lake from which salt is obtained, he arrived at Colossae, a considerable city of Phrygia, in which the river Lycus falling into a chasm of the earth, disappears, then reappearing after a distance of about five stades, it also discharges itself into the meander from Colossae, the army advancing toward the boundaries of the phrygians and lydians arrived at the city of Sidrara, where a pillar planted in the ground and erected by croesus indicates the boundaries by an inscription when from phrygia he entered lydia the way dividing into two that on the left leading to caria that on the right to sardis by which latter a traveller is compelled to cross the river meander and to pass by the city of calatebus in which confectioners make honey with tamarisk and wheat. Xerxes, going by this way, met with a plane-tree, which on account of its beauty he presented with golden ornaments, and having committed it to the care of one of the immortals, on the next day he arrived at Sardis, the capital of the Lydians. On his arrival at Sardis he first of all sent heralds to Greece to demand earth and water and to require them to provide entertainment for the king except that he did not send either to athens or lacedaemon but he did to every other place and he sent the second time for earth and water for the following reason such as had not given them before when darius sent he thought would then certainly do so through fear wishing therefore to know this for certain he sent and after this he prepared to march to avados in the meanwhile those who were appointed had joined the hellespont from asia to europe there is in the chersonese on the hellespont between the city of cestus and Medetus, a craggy shore extending into the sea directly opposite abydos there not long after these events under xanthippus son of eryphron a general of the athenians having taken artaictes a persian governor of cestus they impaled him alive against a plank for he having brought women into the temple of Protesilaus at elias committed atrocious crimes to this shore then beginning at abydos they on whom this task was imposed constructed bridges the phoenicians one with white flax and the egyptians the other with papyrus the distance from abydos to the opposite shore is seven stades when the strait was thus united a violent storm arising broke in pieces and scattered the whole work when xerxes heard of this being exceedingly indignant he commanded that the Hellespont should be stricken with three hundred lashes with a scourge and that a pair of fetters should be let down into the sea. I have moreover heard that with them he likewise sent branding instruments to brand the Hellespont. He certainly charged those who flogged the waters to utter these barbarous and impious words. Thou bitter water, thy master inflicts this punishment upon thee because thou hast injured him, although thou hadst not suffered any harm from him, and King Xerxes will cross over thee whether thou wilt or not. It is with justice that no man sacrifices to thee, because thou art both a deceitful and briny river. He accordingly commanded them to chastise the sea in this manner, and to cut off the heads of those who had to superintend the joining of the Hellespont. They on whom this thankless office was imposed carried it into execution, and other engineers constructed bridges, and they constructed them in the following manner. They connected together pentaconters and triremes, under that toward the Uxing Sea, 360, and under the other 314 obliquely in respect of the Pontus, but in that direction of the current in respect of the Hellespont, that it might keep up the tension of the cables. Having connected them together, they let down very long anchors, some on the one bridge toward the Pontus on account of the winds that blew from it within, others on account of the bridge toward the west and the Aegean on account of the south and southeast winds. They left an opening as a passage through between the Pentecotters, and that in three places, that any one who wished might be able to sail into the Pontus in light vessels, and from the Pontus outward. Having done this, they stretched the cables from the shore, twisting them with wooden capstans, not as before using the two kinds separately, but assigning to each two of white flax and four of papyrus. The thickness and quality were the same, but those of flax were stronger in proportion, every cubit weighing a full talent. When the passage was bridged over, having sewn up trunks of trees and having made them equal to the width of the bridge, they laid them regularly upon the extended cables. And having laid them in regular order, they then fastened them together. And having done this, they put brushwood on the top. And having laid the brushwood in regular order, they put earth over the whole and having pressed down the earth they drew a fence on each side that the beasts of burden and horses might not be frightened by looking down upon the sea when the works at the bridges were completed and those at mount athos as well as the mounds at the mouths of the canal which had been made on account of the tide in order that the mouths of the trench might not be choked up and news was brought that the canal was entirely completed thereupon the army having wintered at sardis and being fully prepared set out at the beginning of the spring from thence toward abydos but as it was on the point of setting out the sun quitting his seat in the heavens disappeared though there were no clouds and the air was perfectly serene and night ensued in the place of day when xerxes saw and perceived this it occasioned him much uneasiness he therefore inquired of the magi what the prodigy might portend They answered that the deity foreshows to the Greeks the extinction of their cities, adding that the sun is the portender of the future to the Greeks, and the moon to the Persians. Xerxes, having heard this, was much delighted and set out upon his march. As he was leading his army away, Pythias the Lydian, terrified by the prodigy in the heavens and emboldened by the gifts, went to Xerxes the king and spoke thus. Sire! Sire! Would you indulge me by granting a boon I should wish to obtain, which is easy for you to grant and of great importance to me? Xerxes, expecting that he would wish for anything rather than what he did ask, said that he would grant his request, and bade him declare what he wanted, whereupon he, when he heard this, spoke confidently as follows, Sire, I have five sons, and it happens that they are all attending you in the expedition against Greece." But do you, O king, pity me who am thus advanced in years, and release one of my sons from the service that he may take care of me and my property? Take the other four with you, and having accomplished your designs, may you return home. Xerxes was highly incensed, and answered as follows, Base man, hast thou dared, when I am marching in person against Greece, and taking with me my children, and brothers, and kinsmen, and friends, to make mention of thy son thou who art my slave and who wert bound in thy duty to follow me with all thy family even with thy wife now learn this well that the spirit of man dwells in his ears which when it hears pleasing things fills the whole body with delight but when it hears the contrary swells with indignation when therefore you did well and gave promise of the like you cannot boast of having surpassed the king in generosity but now that you have adopted a more shameless conduct you shall not receive your deserts but less than your deserts for your hospitality preserves four of your children but you shall be punished with the loss of the one you cherish most when he had given this answer he immediately commanded those whose office it was to execute such orders to find out the eldest of the sons of pythias and to cut his body in two and having so done to deposit the halves one on the right of the road THE OTHER ON THE LEFT, AND THAT THE ARMY SHOULD PASS BETWEEN THEM. WHEN THEY HAD DONE THIS, THE ARMY AFTERWARD PASSED BETWEEN. THE BAGGAGE-BEARERS AND BEASTS OF BURDEN FIRST LED THE WAY. AFTER THEM CAME A HOST OF ALL NATIONS PROMISCUOUSLY, NOT DISTINGUISHED. AFTER MORE THAN ONE HALF OF THE ARMY HAD PASSED, AN INTERVAL WAS LEFT, THAT THEY MIGHT NOT MIX WITH THE KING'S TROOPS. BEFORE HIM A THOUSAND HORSEMEN LED THE VAN CHOSEN FROM AMONG ALL THE PERSIANS and next to them a thousand spearmen those also chosen from among all carrying their lances turned downward to the earth after these came ten sacred horses called nasaion gorgeously caparisoned these horses are called nasaion on the following account there is a large plain in the medic country which is called the nasaion now this plain produces these large horses behind these ten horses was placed the sacred chariot of jupiter drawn by eight white horses. Behind the horses followed a charioteer on foot holding the reins, because no mortal ever ascends this seat. Behind this came Xerxes himself on a chariot drawn by Nisian horses, and a charioteer walked at his side whose name was Pater Amphes, son of Otenes a Persian. In this manner then Xerxes marched out of Sardis, and whenever he thought right he used to pass from the chariot to a covered carriage. Behind him marched a thousand spearmen, the bravest and most noble of the Persians, carrying their spears in the usual manner, and after them another body of a thousand horse, chosen from among the Persians. After the cavalry came ten thousand men chosen from the rest of the Persians. These were infantry, and of these one thousand had golden pomegranates on their spears instead of ferules, and they enclosed the others all round but the nine thousand being within them had silver pomegranates. Those also that carried their spears turned to the earth had golden pomegranates, and those that followed them nearest to Xerxes had golden apples. Behind the ten thousand foot were placed ten thousand Persian cavalry, and after the cavalry was left an interval of two stades, and then the rest of the throng followed promiscuously. The army directed its march from Lydia to the river Caicus, and the Mycian territory, and proceeding from the Caicus, leaving Mount Canai on the left, passed through Atarnius to the city Carina. From thence it marched through the plain of Thebes, and passing by the city of Adramitium, and the Pelastian and and keeping Mount Ida on the left, it entered the territory of Ilium. But before this, as the army halted during the night under Mount Ida, thunder and lightning fell upon them and destroyed a considerable number of the troops on the spot. When the army arrived at the Scamander, which was the first river since they had set out on their march from Sardis, whose stream failed and did not afford sufficient drink for the army and beasts of burden, when accordingly Xerxes arrived at this river, he went up to the Pergamus of Priam, that is, the citadel. Being desirous of seeing it, and having seen it and inquired into every particular, he sacrificed a thousand oxen to the ilian minerva and the magi poured out libations to the honor of the heroes after they had done this a panic fell on the camp during the night and at the dawn of day they marched from thence on the left skirting the city of rhodium and ophrenium and dardanus which borders on abydos and on the right the girgathai tucrians when they were at abydos xerxes wished to behold the whole army and there had been previously erected on a hill at this place for his express use a lofty throne of white marble the people of abydos had made it in obedience to a previous order of the king when he was seated there looking down toward the shore he beheld both the land army and the fleet and when he beheld them he desired to see a contest take place between the ships and when it had taken place and the sidonian phoenicians were victorious he showed himself exceedingly gratified both with the contest and the army and when he saw the whole hellespont covered by the ships and all the shores and the plains of abydos full of men xerxes thereupon pronounced himself happy but afterwards shed tears artabanus his paternal uncle having observed him the same who had before freely declared his opinion and advised xerxes not to invade greece this man, having perceived Xerxes shedding tears, addressed him thus, O king, how very different from each other are what you are now doing and what you did a little while ago, for having pronounced yourself happy, now you weep. He answered, Commiseration seized me when I considered how brief all human life is, since of these numerous as they are, not one shall survive to the hundredth year. But Artabanus replied, saying, WE SUFFER DURING LIFE OTHER THINGS MORE PITIABLE THAN THIS, FOR IN THIS SO BRIEF LIFE THERE IS NOT ONE EITHER OF THESE OR OF OTHERS BORN SO HAPPY THAT IT WILL NOT OCCUR TO HIM, NOT ONLY ONCE BUT OFTENTIMES, TO WISH RATHER TO DIE THAN TO LIVE, FOR CALAMITIES BEFALLING HIM AND DISEASES DISTURBING HIM MAKE LIFE, THOUGH REALLY SHORT, APPEAR TO BE LONG, SO THAT DEATH, LIFE BEING BURDENSOME, BECOMES THE MOST DESIRABLE REFUGE FOR MAN. AND THE DEITY, HAVING GIVEN US TO TASTE OF SWEET EXISTENCE, IS FOUND TO BE JEALOUS OF HIS GIFT. XERXES ANSWERED, SAYING, ARTABANUS, OF HUMAN LIFE, WHICH IS SUCH AS YOU HAVE DESCRIBED IT, LET US SAY NO MORE, NOR LET US CALL EVILS TO MIND, NOW THAT WE HAVE GOOD THINGS BEFORE US. XERXES AGAIN SUMMONED THE MOST DISTINGUISHED OF THE PERSIANS, AND WHEN THEY WERE ASSEMBLED HE ADDRESSED THEM AS FOLLOWS, O PERSIANS, I HAVE CALLED YOU TOGETHER TO DESIRE THIS OF YOU that you would acquit yourselves like brave men and not disgrace the former exploits of the Persians, which are great and memorable. But let each and all of us together show our zeal, for this which we are endeavoring to accomplish is a good common to all. On this account, then, I call on you to apply yourselves earnestly to the war, for as I am informed we are marching against brave men, and if we conquer them no other army in the world will dare to oppose us. Now then let us cross over having first offered up prayers to the gods who protect the persian territory that day they made preparations for the passage over and on the following they waited for the sun as they wished to see it rising in the meantime burning all sorts of perfumes on the bridges and strewing the road with myrtle branches when the sun rose xerxes pouring a libation into the sea out of a golden cup offered up a prayer to the sun that no such accident might befall him AS WOULD PREVENT HIM FROM SUBDUING EUROPE UNTIL HE HAD REACHED ITS UTMOST LIMITS. AFTER HAVING PRAYED HE THREW THE CUP INTO THE Hellespont, AND A GOLDEN BOWL, AND A PERSIAN SWORD, WHICH THEY CALL ASINACE. BUT I CANNOT DETERMINE WITH CERTAINTY WHETHER HE DROPPED THESE THINGS INTO THE SEA AS AN OFFERING TO THE SUN, OR WHETHER HE REPENTED OF HAVING SCOURGED THE Hellespont AND PRESENTED THESE GIFTS TO THE SEA AS A COMPENSATION. When these ceremonies were finished, the infantry and all the cavalry crossed over by that bridge which was toward the Pontus, and the beasts of burden and attendance by that toward the Aegean. First of all the ten thousand Persians led the van, all wearing crowns, and after them the promiscuous host of all nations. These crossed on that day. On the following, first the horsemen, and those who carried their lances downward. These also wore crowns. Next came the sacred horses and the sacred chariot. afterwards Xerxes himself, and the spearmen, and the thousand horsemen. After them the rest of the army closed the march, and at the same time the ships got under way to the opposite shore. I have also heard that Xerxes crossed over last of all. Xerxes, when he had crossed over into Europe, saw the army crossing over under the lash. His army crossed over in seven days and seven nights without halting at all. On this occasion, it is related that when Xerxes had crossed over the Hellespont, a certain Hellespontine said, "O Jupiter, why, assuming the form of a Persian and taking the name of Xerxes, do you wish to subvert Greece, bringing all mankind with you since without them it was in your power to do this End of section sixty four recording by Philip Gould. This recording is in the public domain."